continue to look at Christian hope, the uh, verses, the main ones we'll use, we'll use a number as always, but they're from Colossians 1. If you want to turn there, we'll be in chapter 2 a little bit too. The uh, hope of the gospel is what we're looking at today. Um, so we, we'll hit this probably every week to kind of tell you why we're doing what we're doing. You know, hope in the kind of secular definition is wishing, desiring, dreaming, yearning, craving. It's something that's not certain. It's something that we uh, can't count on or be confident of. But in, in the Bible, Christian hope, the Greek word elpis, is joyful and confident expectation of salvation is primarily what it's about. Or, or trusting in God's future promises or God's promises for the future. Uh, and so it's different. You know, there's a difference between the way we use the word hope and the way the Bible uses the word hope. And that happens sometimes. And we want to make sure as best we can, we, if we're doing biblical things and trying to understand God and his word, that we use his definition, not ours. Uh, what is the author's trying to attend, uh, uh, trying to give us and uh, tell us? So there's something this is something every Christian should have, the, the, what we call expectation or Christian hope. And our verse kind of that just flows through this whole series is from 1 Peter 3.15. And it's something we all should have, it, that in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. It's interesting how that's worded. Uh, why do you have the hope? What's the reason you have the hope? but do it with gentleness and respect. Uh, it's a very good verse. It's something every everybody should try to follow because we do this, uh, and pastors do this a lot. You need to be out there telling people about Jesus. Um, well, at least you need to be out there ready to tell if somebody ask. You know, I think that's uh, the, what everybody should have. Everybody's gifted differently. Um, and, you know, uh, and sometimes, yeah, you can do that, and it's a little uncomfortable. But uh, we can always do this, right? I think if we know why we have the hope uh, of uh, the expectation of uh, the salvation that, that Christ gives us, you know, just be ready to answer that if somebody asks you. It could come in lots of different ways, right? You know, why do you go to that church? Why do you go to church at all? Why do you follow Jesus? Why are you annoying? You know, whatever. Right? Be ready. Be ready to give a defense, a uh, uh, Apologia, is a, that's why we get the term apologetics. Can you make a good case for why you believe? Whether or not it's compelling to someone is really not up to you. It's, that's really up to them and God, but just be ready to do that. So Christians ought to be known as a hopeful people in the biblical way, and it implies that there are good reasons for that. You know, we can always make good reasons. Uh, what we don't want to get into is this goofiness that we believe whether there's evidence or not. I mean, that's just silly in my opinion. Why would you do that? <laughs> why did Jesus come? Why did, why did all this get written down? You know, John says that in, in chapter 20 of his gospel. It's like, these were written so that you'll believe. It's evidence. So let's give them evidence, you know. Um, so that's kind of what we will talk about all the time. But for today, we're looking at the hope of the gospel. So if you want to follow along, we're in Colossians 1, verse 21 through 23. Uh, and it's going to use these pronouns, and we always want to know who we're talking, and you who were once alienated. So when you look at this this passage, um, we, we have to, who is you? Well, this is written to a church in a, a, a town called Colossae, and this is the Colossians. And so these are Christians in the first century, so it applies to us. 
as Christians in the, in, the, in the 21st century. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So it's a really one sentence again. You're noticing we have these one sentence uh, explanations. But one of the things that when you go through passages, maybe you don't do that, but I get bogged down in some of the specifics. Uh, so what I'm going to do today is kind of grab onto two little trees so we can see the forest a little better. Uh, I do that. I'll read this, and I'm like, okay, this is really cool, but there's that one thing there. What's he talking about there? And you just kind of go off on this. We're going to do this just a little bit. The first one will take a little longer than the second. But it says that he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless. How are you blameless before God? You know, we, we, have, to be able, we, we have to be able to understand what this means. Uh, because in one way we can say the only way you'll ever live with God is you have to be blameless before him. If you don't explain what that means, that can really be bad news. And as we'll see, gospel means good news. So we want, we want the good news. What does it mean to be blameless? Well, this does it, and we'll look at another verse that does it. In order to present you, well, who's presenting you as holy and blameless? Well, Jesus, we just talked about. He reconciled us by his death on the cross. Well, this is throughout Scripture, to be blameless before God, uh, and this is not so you go around thinking, you know, look at me, I didn't do anything wrong. This is not, that's not the point, and we'll see that. But you do have to be blameless before God. But way back in Genesis 17, where the Abrahamic covenant gets established, when Abraham, or Abraham at this time, his name had not changed to Abraham, and it's later in this chapter, actually. He was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, that's El Shaddai, if you remember that song, uh, Walk before me and be blameless. Now, if we just read verse 1, which we just did, you'll think, never screw up again, Abraham. And if you remember, he does uh, more than once. So how does he seem blameless? Well, we'll get, you get this later that it was credited to him as righteousness through his faith, that he was seen that way. So we get that in Deuteronomy, this Moses is about to die, get the Mosaic Covenant, all these laws, all this thing, the people come out of Egypt, they're going, going to go into the promise, almost ready to go in. And God, through Moses, says, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. Blameless. Everybody. So this is obviously important. So you have to understand how this works. And then we get this during our Christmas time. Um, this is uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah uh, in Luke 1. And it said, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So, you know, all you have to do is never sin. It's really not that difficult, right? Is that what it means, you know? Um, again, you have to understand what this goes. If you, if you don't understand the Old Covenant and how that works, you're not going to understand the New Covenant and how it works. In the Old Covenant, remember, eventually, God makes this this. Remember what that was called? The tabernacle. And what did they do in there? Play Scrabble? No. 
<laughs> yeah, they, they sacrificed. I mean, that was the main thing. They prayed, but there was, it was a sacrificial. You know, you had all these sacrifices. Eventually, that becomes the temple. But that's the old covenant, you know. I mean, if you read through Leviticus, I mean, it's almost like Denison. They're killing all kinds of stuff, you know. I think it, you know, it, it, for different reasons. But it's, it's the sacrifice. It's offering, you know, those that you have. To, why do you do that? Well, everybody, if you know Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, you know, everybody, it was assumed, was sinning sometime during the year, and that's why they have this one day. And there's just sin offerings, and you go before, and you got Passover, which is the same thing. Uh, all this kind of stuff. Well, why? Because it's implied that you're probably not going to do this perfectly. But walk before me and be blameless. It's counted blameless. Not because you deserve it or you earn it, but because you ask for it. The whole sacrificial system was the idea of grace. You know, we had that last week. What is grace? It's undeserved. So when it says that they walked blamelessly in all the commandments, the assumption is when they messed up, they went and they sacrificed and their heart was after God. You see the difference? It's God sees you as blameless because of His grace. It's not that you do everything perfectly. If we miss that, we become legalists and you don't even need a cross. You just got to follow all the rules. That's not the gospel. That's not grace. That's works. So got to get that right, you know. So we've said this before if you've been here a while. It's just, you know, if you're a believer, if you follow Jesus, you're blameless before God. Just be careful how you tell somebody that. I've been called on that before. Are you blameless before God? Well, yeah. And what people hear is you've never messed up or you... What they really hear is you think you're better than me. Yeah. And in Romans, Paul says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. You know, it's just kind of the, the idea. But you don't want to go the other way either. You know, also in Romans, shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? Let's sin more so God looks better. You know, by no means. Uh, so it's the idea that we, we have the grace. That makes us blameless before God. You've got this maybe bad theological story and about, you know, when, when you die, if you're in Christ, uh, born again, believe, follower, whatever word you want to use, that you have accepted the grace through faith, that when you come before the Father and the accuser, the Satan, <laughs> comes and says, this person has messed up a lot. It's kind of like, Father, the Father is saying, but I, I don't see that person's sin because Jesus is standing in the way. He sees us as blameless. You know, that, I don't know if that's a good theological story or bad, but that, that's the idea that we see. We get his righteousness. So that's what we want. Yes, you are blameless before God, but it's not because of you. It's because of him. And you see this being blameless before God is the result of trusting in the grace of Christ. And you see this really well done, obviously, in Romans 3. Um, if you remember, Romans 1 is about creation and how we should see by creation that there's a, there's a, there's a God, existence of some, something greater than us. And Romans 2 talks about that each person is created in God's image, and even if you don't have the law, you have the law written on your heart and you have a conscience. So you should know moral good from bad even without that. And the rest of it, chapter 3 through 16, is about Christ. Uh, and this is where the twist it starts. It says... The righteousness, now think of that where righteous means not doing anything. It's blameless. It's another word for blameless, really. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ has come for all who believe, for there is no distinction 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, again, that's what we talk about when we talk about blameless. So, Christ then presents His true followers as blameless, righteous, no sin. So, that's not counted against us. And you get this in the 21st verse of Jude. Now, to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. It's the same we have in Colossians. Does that make sense? Anybody having trouble with this? Raise your hand. See me afterwards. No, no. It, you gotta, this we got to get right. We're blameless before God if we're believers because of what he has done. The other one's real short, but you can get, it's like, was, what is he talking about that, that all creation under heaven has heard the gospel? Uh, is he saying the Great Commission is done here? We don't know when Colossians was written. We, we, we guess in the mid-50s of the first century. Because uh, he says he wants to get to Spain, so they haven't heard yet. So what's he talking about? Most likely what Paul is talking about is the gospels be proclaimed everywhere to everyone, not just Jews, not just particular groups. So that one's not quite the rabbit trail. But what we want to look at today is this verse 23, the hope of the gospel. You know, why do we have hope in this gospel? So let's not forget our biblical definition of Christian hope, the joyful and confident expectation of salvation, trusting in God's future promises. So we should be able to see that this is the sweetest message out there. That's why it's called the gospel. The good news of Christ promises a joyful and confident expectation of salvation. This is what uh, we hear. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but as I read that, I'm like, does this kind of just sit there for you? It's like, oh, yeah, I know that. It's like, okay, yeah, you know, Jesus died for my sins. I mean, it sounds a little flippant, I know, but sometimes we do that, don't we? Uh, we hear it so often that sometimes we forget the depth of it. Um, and I think, again, if you keep trying to think of that connection or relationship with Jesus, if you can use your relationships with people you know that you really like to be with and know more about, you don't really get bored when you're around them, right? If you're bored when you're around Jesus, you're probably not really getting to know him that well. Um, he might scare you, but he won't bore you, you know? Think of Isaiah. It's like encounters God on his belly. You know, most of them are Ezekiel. Get me out of here. You know, Moses. Nah, I'm not looking at that. You know, they're never bored. <laughs> uh, so if you're bored in your faith, um, that could be my fault. Could be our fault. Maybe the sermons are boring. Or sorry, uh, that's not what we're trying to do. But again, it, you're not really encountering him. I don't think. And and be careful when you do because he's not always tame. <laughs> so last week we saw that we have a good hope of eternal comfort. We talked about the word uh, eternal, that it had both a time-based and an equality-based, that you have that now, you have eternal life now when you believe, and that we have this heart comfort from each other, which gives us hope, and then we are established to do every good work, uh, and we looked at those, the idea of grace, and we looked at eternity. Um, but today we're going to look and understand what the gospel is. We say this, you know, you got to believe the gospel, but can we define it? What's the gospel? Well, the word is good news. The Greek word is euagelion. Euagelion. Doesn't that sound cool? Euagelion. That's where we get our word evangelism. Euagelion. Uh, I think that's, it's good news, but it's not, you know, good news that you can save 15% by switching to Geico. This is more 
more deep than that. You know, it's the good news of Jesus. So how would you do that? And this is kind of, this is just a little uh, study, I guess, we're going to do to try to figure out what the gospel is. This is how I would do it. And I have the my and the clicker, so we're going to do it my way. Uh, but you, make sure you do this. Start with God. Um, what we tend to do, and remember we had that, y'all bring your hands. <laughs> we had that little, you know, gospel idea, you know, where does it start? God. You know, what we tend to do is start with us. Um, Romans doesn't do that. Uh, none of the gospels do that. I mean, it's the idea we start with God. Well, think about Genesis 1.1. How does it start? In the beginning. Maybe we should start there, too. Well, how about the gospel in the New Testament, the gospel of John? How does it start? Seems like we can't get away from it. Um, in the beginning was the Word, so there we go. So we start with God's nature. This is where we have to, because this is the standard by which we're judged. Not our nature, but His, and it's holy. Sinless, perfect, eternal. Holy means set apart, uh, something we can't reach. Uh, so we've got a holy God, and before he creates, that's all there is, is this holy God. But then he creates and he decrees. He reveals something to us. How would we know the gospel if he didn't tell us? That's the idea. I mean, we do that this is Christmas. Why did Jesus, why did the second person of the Trinity become flesh and dwell among us? Well, because he was revealing something about it. You remember in the transfiguration, you remember those, who were the two dudes with him? Moses and Elijah. Um, we had this in the Bible study this morning. I, I'm like, you know, you always, people say, well, is this person in the Old Testament, were they saved? Were they, it's like, well, we know two were for sure, right? Because we got Moses and Elijah, probably more than that. Abraham, David, probably two, but, and probably a lot more. Uh, but that's it. You got these two, and you know, the voice comes from heaven after that transfiguration, and what does it say? This is my son. Listen to him, because he's going to tell you some stuff you don't know. He's going to tell you the most important things. So he decrees. He reveals. That's why we're so big on the Bible, because we believe that's his revelation. I, I think we have good reasons for that. So then now we've got God. Then we get people. Well, who are we? His assessment of our problem, that's the big deal. You know, there was a, uh, I remember a video, this has been years ago, they're outside a couple churches in New York, and they're just asking people coming out of the churches, and I don't know which churches they were. And they said, are you going to heaven? And more people than not said, well, I hope I'm good enough. It's like, well, that might be our assessment, but it's not God's. Because, what, you know, one thing you could say, really flip it to them, is like, no, nah, you're not. <laughs> I know you, you're not good enough. Um, so, his assessment of our problem, that's what we, we have to have. What does he think about us? Because ultimately, who makes the decision? Who's the judge of all of us? We had this in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, all, everything, all judgment is handed over to the Son by the Father. So, we probably better listen to how that judgment works. So, now his assessment is that we have a problem. Holy God... We've got that. He decrees that there's a problem. Now, if he stopped there, we'd, we, this would not be good news. This would be bad news. But he gives us a solution. Well, what's the solution? And how do we, what do we do once we have the solution? The solution's not hard, is it? Is the solution hard in the Bible? 
what does Jesus say? Why did he come? You know, repent and believe the good, yeah, follow me. So, you know, that's why they killed him. He thought he was the solution. He thought he was the main solution. Well, heck, he thought he was God. So we're going to build a definition of the gospel based on knowing that we start with God, we see what he revealed, he shows us the problem, we'll define that, and then the solution. Now you have the gospel. And then when you go out and give a reason for the hope that you have, and you probably know this, but we still got to get it right. We always want to start with us. That's, it's hard, you know. You know and, and what do we do? We, we tend to do this, I mean, I've done it. We do, if somebody comes in and says to you, in the church or you're talking to him and saying, you know, I, I've just, I've had a lot of problems in my life and I, 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 I'm not worthy of, of being with God in eternity. And what do we tend to do? I don't worry about that. God loves you, you know, and, and that's the kind of the knee-jerk reaction, which is, it's nice enough. Or, you know, you'll do, well, I've had problems too. It's like, you know, I guess we could do that one Sunday. I could just list all my problems, and you can say, hey, the pastor has problems too. You know, get to know me, you'll know there's problems. But, that, but that's, let's not focus on the problems, focus on the solution. Um, I mean, what, what would you say to somebody? This is kind of an aside, I guess, but if somebody said that to you, you get this when you do prison ministry, you get this when you do uh, people who are addicts, you know, they, you don't have to tell them they're guilty. <laughs> that's not a problem. They're just wallowing in the guilt because they don't see a solution. They, they know the problem. The problem's there. Let's try to get them a solution. What are you going to do about that? <laughs> what can you do about it? You know, that's the way we go. So here's our building a definition of the gospel. God, see where it starts? Good start, right? In his sovereignty, his supreme authority has declared. So that's kind of the first two steps. God in his sovereignty has declared, which is because God's the only one that has the authority to do this. What's he declared? A warning. We don't start with this. And why do you get a warning? Why do you get a warning in life? Why does it say, do not operate this hairdryer in a shower? Because somebody sued. No, I mean, that's probably a reason. But, but, you know, again, it's a warning. It's a warning. It's red letter. You know, this, there's a problem here. There's a warning. What's the warning? Well, to all humans, that they are in a lost condition. I mean, I don't, I remember as a, a younger Christian when I first started understanding this, I'm not sure I liked this because it doesn't make us look very good, does it? I mean, all things being equal, if you go up to somebody at a restaurant and say, you know, you're lost, what are they going to say? Who invited that guy, you know? I mean, it's, yeah, you're lost, you know, that's the word. You know, you can use other words if you want. Um, what does it mean? Well, you fall short of the glory of God, like Romans 3 has told us. You, you're, you're a sinner in need of repentance, all these types of things. That's, that's the warning. But think about it. What we haven't talked about and what you're not going to see in here at all is the word love because it's implied. <laughs> this all shows love. You know, love's important. Love's big. But you don't need to start with that because love, you can tell somebody you love them, you can say that God loves them, but how do you show that? You know, love in words is great, but love in action is what really matters. So, is it loving to tell someone, you, if you know they're going to destroy, be destroyed, to tell them nothing because you don't want to bother them? Is it loving for a, a, a fireman to not 
go in and break down the door because it might be uncomfortable to take the person out of the fire. You know, you know, you see, you see what I'm getting at. You know, it's 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 hard. You know, and especially if the person in the house doesn't think there's a fire, <laughs> that makes it really hard. Uh, and that's kind of where we are. But again, we've talked about this before. The old R.C. Sproul way of doing uh, evangelism. He would ask somebody, he'd tell him who what he did. He was a theologian and writer and everything. And and, and he would always he'd ask and about you know where's your spiritual things and all this kind of stuff. And if if they if they kind of balked at it, he would always say, what do you do with the guilt? And it's a great question because he always gets one of two answers. One of two answers. Either, I don't know what you're talking about. They don't realize they're lost. Or how did you know? And it's that second one you can start moving on. Well, something's going on there. They're looking at things maybe through God's eyes a little bit. Maybe the Holy Spirit's working on them. And so then you can start presenting stuff. So, so the warning is where you have to start. Again, you not, we did, I think this was last week you used that. You, know, you don't need a parachute in a plane that's working fine. But if that sucker's going down, you might want one. Well, if you can, if you can convince people, <laughs> and you probably can't do it, all you can do is tell them. But if the Spirit's working and they know there's a problem, then they'll look for a solution. That's the key. And that's where it always starts. And what does he do? So he warns all humanity that they're in a lost condition through his word, uh, through his people, and directs them to repent of their sin. So this is the solution. Repent. Change your mind. Go away from sin toward Christ, all those ways you do it. And do what once I do that? You know, it's the old idea. Repent means turn or change mind. So you're going toward a sinful lifestyle away from God. You turn toward Jesus and believe in him and what he has done to save them, the solution. This is the gospel. Not really that hard, is it? You know? That's most of our hand there. You got God, people, Jesus, and cross. The only one that's not in here, which we can get, is resurrection. And that's not really talking about Jesus, right, but ours, that we will be with him forever. It's always nice to have the pinky in the end. And you can throw the pinky in if you want, but you got to get this first. All right? So that's the gospel. You, you can define it the way you want, but this is how you come to it. Solution problem. You know, you, you've got to have what we do sometimes is we give them the solution before they know the problem. And we don't want that. Um, so that's the gospel. So this will give his followers hope. This confident expectation now, in part, you know, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we see through a glass darkly right now. We don't see everything clearly. Now, in part, eventually we'll see in full. But you have eternal life now. And many biblical passages define, teach, and deepen this. And the one we have today, look at what you have in here. Colossians 1, we just read it. We were alienated from God. We were guilty. There's that guilt word. And then we were presented holy and blameless, not because we were better than everybody else, but because of grace. If we continue in the faith and remain steadfast, gratitude. See, that, that all fits in. That 3G thing really works good. Yeah. That's the Heidelberg Catechism. Did you guys know that? Raise your hand if you knew that. Nobody's going to do that, right? Yeah, the Heidelberg Catechism is actually pretty darn good. Um, let me ask you another question. Where do you think they wrote that? Good job. You're listening. <laughs> yeah, it's really well done. It's the guilt grade. That's where that comes from. It's an old catechism from the 16th century. 
um, some of those are really good and help us understand the gospel even better. So however you want to look at this, guilt, grace, gratitude is another good way to do the gospel. Um, so this is another G. So the gospel gives his true followers of Jesus this hope, this confidence. And we see this as you go through a gospel like Luke, well, any of them. And just as an aside, that's the way I do it, and this is just syntax, but when you see the capital G gospel, that's usually like Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And when you see the small g, that's what we just defined. Uh, you know, that God and his sovereignty declared the problem, gave us the solution through Jesus. Um, so what do we have hope of? Well, we have hope of forgiveness. And you can use these uh, accounts. I, I hesitate to use the word story because we turn that into something that's fictional. Uh, we don't believe Luke is a story in that way. We believe Luke is an account of what really happened. But you remember in Luke 7 where Jesus gets invited to a Pharisee named Simon's house? And he comes in and he eats with him. And then while he's there, a woman who has uh, got an interesting occupation, lady of the evening, I don't think it says that, but you can do the math, um, she comes in and she washes his feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. And you can just imagine what these Pharisees are thinking. You know, what is this guy doing? You know, what is she doing? Why isn't he telling her to get away? And then he looks at him and says, you know, you, I came in here and you gave me, you know, no water for my feet, no oil for my head. And she has not quit washing them with their tears in her hair. And he says she understands her guilt. She knows she's sinned much, so she understands how much grace matters. You know, Jesus says that. It's a very good account of how you can, this would be great for someone who thinks I'm good enough. Simon, I'm sure, thought he was good enough. Good enough for what? You know, it's possible you are better than some other people. It's possible you're not. But who are we going to compare ourselves to? Again, God is where that is in. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect, even as I am perfect. Oh, wow. But if we take that as never mess up, that is bad news. If we take that, we get righteousness imputed to us because of faith. Well, that well, yeah, I can do that. And then it's, man, you just, you know, you can just take a deep breath. This isn't as hard as I thought it was. I want to do good things, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't kick me out of his heaven because I messed up. Isn't that cool? Isn't that good news? If we were Baptists, somebody would be saying amen, but we are. We're eight free. We're much more deserved. But it's, uh, and that's fine. You're saying amen in your head, aren't you? Yeah. And that's good enough, you know. Maybe someday uh, we'll get that Tim Hawkins video of how to worship God with the, you know, lift in the refrigerator and eventually coming out and washing the windows and touchdown, you know, we'll do that. He does much better job than I do. That might be the next welcome. Yeah, we'll see. But, uh, but think about this. You, you, Jesus interacts with people differently based on where they are, and so do you have to do that too. If you have somebody that you know in your family that you're, or that you're talking to, or even you're, you're, you know, if you think, well, I'm good enough, read this. Read this Luke 7. It's a hope of forgiveness. You know, he said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. But yet, what's implied there, you're all sinners, you just don't know it yet, you know. So, 
The hope of reconciliation you see in the prodigal son. We know that, you know, Luke 15. You know, did the prodigal son deserve the father to run after him when he saw him? Well, no, it's all about grace. It's the idea of a prodigal coming home. And this is good for someone who thinks they're just too bad. They've done too many bad things. Well, if you're in a karma religion where you get saved because you did more good things than bad things, you're kind of in trouble if you come on the scene and all. You, you, I mean, you, you got a negative number you're never going to erase. But Jesus erases. You know, we have that, that, I don't know who sung that song, you know, he ran, you know, the father runs. We run to the father, you know, and we run and it's kind of cool, you know, this whole prodigal thing. So there's these accounts that really, this is actually a parable, but, but these help us understand. You can tell that People are in these places sometimes. And then you get in Luke 17, the hope of holiness. You know, you think about it. If back then, if you had leprosy, you know, skin disease, which is very contagious, what were you supposed to say when somebody got close to you? Unclean. Unclean. Why? Well, out of mercy. Because what happens if they touch you? They might get what you have. Unclean, unclean. And you don't touch somebody that has... And you got these 10 lepers on the side of the road, and he goes and touches them all. And I love this because Jesus does this all the time, you know. It's like he touches the woman that has the issue of blood, and he doesn't get it. He, he wins. His power to heal is much greater than the disease. But this, he just by his touch, he cleansed these lepers. Just mercy. And changed their lives, I'm sure. But you remember how many out of the 10 came back and said, Thanks. Only one, you know, and do what you want with that. I don't mean, yeah, maybe their nine came later. I don't know. But this one, it's like, that's it. Sometimes we forget that. We go through times in life that we suffer and things don't go the way we want them to go. And we think, man, you know, where's God at? Where's he? But we forget that we've been cleansed, you know. Do you think the leper's life was perfect after that? Everything went well? I probably had some problems, but he could always remember I, w I was cleansed, you know. And he came back and, and recognized Jesus, so he had the main thing. So these, all of us give us hope. And you see this in the gospel and we, as we keep going through this. So summing up, if you want to just go to Colossians 2, we'll hit this really quick. Uh, 13 through 15 kind of give us a, a summing up of all of this. And Colossians is a great book, very theological um, and it says that, and you, this, this is a summarization of what's accomplished on the cross, so it's really good. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, so there's a problem. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt, and get this metaphor, and stood against with legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What a cool, you can almost hear the... <laughs> You know, just getting rid of it. And the, the sins just dissolve. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So what's he do? He disarms the spirit. He gets the victory. We have the victory in Christ. We got songs like that because every child of God defeats the evil world through Christ. And we achieve the victory of, through our faith because we get the grace. He cancels our record of crimes against him. You know, because Jesus came to take away our sins. In him was no sin. We get his righteousness. And now the Father sees you as blameless. This is really good news. I don't know if you're getting this. It's just like, 
this is why we have the hope that we have. And then you have this both in here in Ephesians, made alive. Because what? We were dead in our sins. But now we're alive in His righteousness. Even while we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So, as we look at this, you know, for all who have been saved by grace through faith, we should have confident expectation of salvation, this Christian hope, trusting in God's future promises, because the faith that you have is only as strong and powerful as the one you place it in. Don't have faith in faith. Certainly don't have faith in yourself. Have faith in Jesus. Have faith in His words. Have faith in the Father that sent Him and the Spirit that He sent to have us understand our problem, understand our solution, and be able to go into each day and say, I know I got what I need. Not because you're good, but because He's perfect. Let us pray. Father, these words are so pointed to us. Help us uh, understand the glory, uh, the good news of the gospel. May we remember that the main thing we should have is knowing that we have eternal life now and will always have it with you forever and ever, that we weren't made for this life ultimately, but for the next. May we remember that each day and have that confident expectation, that Christian hope because of you, what you did, and who you are. Amen.